so I grew up in a church with the family. Mom would get me up and dad uh, daily to get well on Sundays, go to Sunday school. I participated in the kids' program Wednesday night, went to kids' camp. And somewhere around the age of nine or ten, I uh, decided, well, at a camp, there was a pastor there that I believe had led me to Christ. And so I came back. We went to a little church in, down in Richardson off Beltline. It was Central Christian Church, a non-denominational Bible church. My, the pastor that led me to Christ was paraplegic. He could not get into the baptismal to baptize me. So my daddy did. So I was baptized by my father uh, at that church when, when I was a kid and participated until I was about 14 years old. And mom and dad divorced when I was 14. And in Texas, you're allowed to pick as a child at 14 where you want to go. And I chose to go live with my dad and my eight-year-old sister went to live with my mom. And so over a period of time, I became somewhat estranged from mother, and then dad and I didn't go to church. In fact, I focused on work. That's what he did. And I wanted to be like him, and I wanted to grow up and be rich, and I wanted to own everything, and I wanted to be, that was my version of success. So literally before I even got out of high school, I started owning small businesses. In college, I did as well, and was very successful, not once going to church. And I went to a Methodist college at SMU. First time I set foot in that chapel was two weeks after I graduated school when I got married. Didn't take it very seriously. Uh, at this point, Dad had married for the third time, and I was marrying for the first. I went to work for Deloitte right out of school two weeks after we got married. She was a year ahead of me, CIO at a mortgage company. And again, I focused on on success. What did that mean? Well, Deloitte, that meant up or out. So you were either the top of your class or you got fired. So to be the top of your class, you play politics, you work late, you drink a lot with everybody, uh, and you try to get, you know, your pay doubled every two or three years. That's your goal. And those that work for you, you treat the same way. So I began that walk to a, seriously down the wrong path. So I would get up to work really early, work really hard, 10, 12 hours a day, party till two or three in the morning and get up and do it the next day. One of the men I worked for didn't wake up one morning for a meeting. And we always had a rule. You made roll call no matter how late you stayed out, even if you came to work drunk, which we often did. And Reggie didn't make roll call. Uh, and so I began to be concerned about, you know, what was I going to be? How, you know, what was I going to do? And at this point, by the way, I should mention, uh, after one year, I separated from my wife because I wasn't home. I was out partying with everybody else. At the end of the second year, we were fully divorced. Uh, shortly thereafter, I met my second wife, who was the mother of my two kids, uh, Jack and Nora. And Nora is the oldest. She's about two weeks younger than Morgan, my niece. Uh, and my son's a year and a half younger than she is. And so... She also worked at the firm, my second wife. I met her there on those late nights. And so about the time Reggie died, I began to think about what I wanted to do, and Dad and I had talked about me owning my own business at some point. And so I quit without a job, and I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. And a couple of years later, with ten grand, we started the business that we own today. And then I had, I had borrowed millions, quite frankly, that I couldn't pay back uh, in order to get into that business. One of those was in Arizona. It was a manufacturing company, which required me to go there. Remember, I've got 
Nora was almost three, and so Jack was a year and a half. Not quite. Jack was actually nine or ten months old. So I went to Phoenix and worked there and would come back and forth and left my wife at home with two babies to take care of. And that didn't work very well, so we moved her out. The problem was the manufacturing company I, I bought required me to travel. So I was gone all the time, and I had moved her to a strange city with no support. Mind you, we went to church occasionally at Valley View Christian. When we were here, when we went to Phoenix, it stopped again. Not even Christmas and Easter. And at that time, we began to struggle and remember my lifestyle. So I had taken that lifestyle from Deloitte and now embedded it in my own businesses that I bought. So I work long hours. I go with my sales guys on the road. They're expected to stay up with me. We drink till two or three in the morning. We get up, we do it again the next day. I got no time for my family. I got no time for God. And so we separated when the kids were just babies. And she came back here to our home that we had here. And actually my father was living there. And she moved in with my dad with my two kids. And we began that same process that dad had been down and I had been down before of getting a divorce. And lo and behold, no surprise to anybody, the woman I had met was Tammy. And she worked for me at that manufacturing company. Um, so Tammy's my third wife. And Tammy saw the way I lived. She didn't participate the way I did, but she saw it. And she married me anyway. Tammy has two kids, Dylan and Kayla. You often see them sitting next to us at church. Dylan's the Marine that has come to Christ here, sleeved, tattooed down both sides. Kayla's our lesbian daughter that's also as well tattooed and ringed. Um, the fruit of living <clears throat> like we did for a long time. I think. So, for the longest time, Tammy, actually 10 years, this started in 2000, so 2000 to 2013, I had a home in Arizona, I went back and forth because my kids were mine every other weekend. Um, Tammy had a home in Arizona, and then of course I had the home here with the kids. So we never got married, we didn't sleep together, well we didn't sleep in the same house and live together, right? Uh, until 13 when I decided to move her here. Um, and we still weren't married. We had made a commitment in our divorce agreement, myself and Valerie, my kid's mother, we had made an agreement that we wouldn't live with anybody or move anybody into the house as long as the kids were in our house. So to remedy that, I had to marry Tammy. Now mind you, that was okay. I'd already done this a couple of times. So this was just gonna be the third. And it solved my problem of not having to have two houses here. She could move in with me, but I had to marry her. In the meantime, I still live the same lifestyle. Now, I want you to understand the lifestyle. It's not just about what you do. It's about what you don't have. So things began to be successful financially. Uh, bought an office building here in town, filled it full of cars, had houses in Arizona and here. And I was alone in every one of them. I don't care who was in the room. I was alone at work. I don't care who was in the room. I was alone on the road. I don't care who I traveled with. I was by myself, uh, in the dark and knew it. When I would come into town, I would come in and I would call my sister or Robbie or, or daddy would and say, let's get together for dinner. My expectation was we'd go to dinner, we'd have drinks, we'd spend some time together, take the kids. I exposed mine to it all along. Robbie and Kelly would say, well, we've got small group tonight. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, 
Well, let's do it Sunday. Well, Robbie's, you know, he's counting Sunday and he's serving. He's, he's an elder, which I missed completely. I didn't even understand what that meant. And I wasn't there for him whenever he went through all that, getting ordained. Um, I finally asked on numerous occasions. I'm just going to tell you what I asked. I looked over at Kelly one day and I go, why do you waste so much damn time at that church? I said it to her. And I said it to her more than once. So I felt the sword, the separation between brother and sister and the family because I didn't follow Christ. She did. So about in 2000, we married in 13. About 2014, my dad at this point is in the final stages of uh, brain cancer. He's living in our house in, in our bedroom. Tammy and I are upstairs in the, in the media room. Tammy's taking care of him. Kelly and Robbie take turns. We had hired help that we brought in. When I was in town, I would stay up at night and take care of Dad. And I was diagnosed with an aortic root aneurysm during that time. Uh, I still have it today. I remember having a conversation with my father. And this is how arrogant I was. Uh, remember, I owned some companies, 300 employees, and nobody told me anything. I remember having a conversation with my father sitting there before he died, and I said, you know, I now understand how you feel with brain cancer. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, you have nobody. When you're diagnosed with it, it's just you. You're all alone. You have nobody. You have to be able to deal with it yourself. And that's the way I felt every day. I didn't have Christ. I didn't have a family, a church family. I could share with my family family, right, my blood uh, who was very concerned and loving throughout this whole process. But I didn't have hope. There was no hope. Um, in 14, it came to light that I, you know, in the house I had in Arizona, Tammy was unaware of it. I had another woman living there, and she had been. So I figured, well, here we go. This is going to be number three. And Tammy's going to know take as much as she can get like the other two and go her own way so I started we had very difficult conversations and I started making arrangements to go the way in fact looking at apartments and other things to move out and this is where things change Richard uh, you made a comment I don't think you understand the significance it's simple but it's very powerful to me anytime I've told the story I tell people I'm gonna tell you my story well that was my story and if you left me in charge I would still be heading down that path, complete wreck. Well, this is God's story. And you said there are two stories. And you're absolutely right. So what? It, so Tammy and I fought and argued. And one day, and I'll let her tell her story, but one day she came to this church and broke down. You were here. And I think that day, Christ grabbed her and changed her heart. And when she came home, she was different. And our fights changed. And I think Christ put her in my life simply to sh for her to show me the grace that could be had by somebody that I didn't know, nor did I understand. And I think she specifically was put here to save me. And I don't mean save me like Christ. I mean show me that grace so that I could consider an alternative path. I was angry. My daddy just died. My family now surrounded Tammy. I'm still on the outside. She's forgiving, but angry. And I kept thinking, we're going to fix our relationship. What I didn't realize was is I had to fix me. Christ had to fix me and my relationship and my walk with him before I could ever have one with my wife. Amen. That's right. So 
talk about the people in this church and how they affect you and how they act in your life. I started to come to church begrudgingly, again, angry that my family involved her in this church, their church. And so I wouldn't come unless I had to. And Christmas and Easter, I often was hoping the parking lot was full so that I would turn around and be able to go back home. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to come out of the dark. Uh, I didn't want to change my life as miserable as I was. But I started coming up here. The first time I met Gabe, and I don't know if you remember this, you may not. We're walking down the hall. You bump into me, and you said, I haven't met you before. First time here? I said, I've been here a couple times. I said, uh, Glenn Gross. Oh, you're Judy's son. Yeah, I'm Judy's son. Well, we've been praying for you for years. First time I met him. I'm like, hmm. So apparently there's more to this than I knew about, right? And Robbie and Kelly had been praying and had been working with us for some time. And Robbie convinced me to go to breakfast with Rasmussen, who was our pastor then. And he said, I just want you to meet the guy. And he gave Mike my number. Mike called me and we meet not far from the house and I had been on a pretty good night the night before so when I showed up I was probably hungover and Mike says are you a Christian do you believe and I said yes I just don't practice very much but I told him I do believe in Christ but I don't practice very much I didn't have any idea what I was saying or what that meant and we talked and we talked a couple of times and then he said hey I got this this uh, group that meets I'd like to know Robbie and I would like to know if you'd like to join it and I thought I'm not sure, reluctantly. I said, yeah. Well, what he didn't tell me was it was 6.30 in the morning on a Monday morning. <laughs> Which started to curb the behavior on Sunday night because I couldn't make it at 6.30 in the morning if I didn't. And then I went to journey group and I sat with men, uh, Justin Peabody, Rasmussen, Robbie, Scott Stewart was in there, some other guys, at Frankie, some other guys that aren't here at the church. But I started going to this group and there's not... An aha moment. What happened was in the journey group, you got Randy Pope that gives you audios that you listen to and scripture that you have to read and questions that you have to go through and applications to your life that you have to consider. And, and then they want you to tell your story. And I would study on Saturday in my office. I had this big space with a bar in it before Monday and I would go Saturday and I would sit by myself with nobody else in that building. And over time, I sat there, and every Sunday just broke my heart. I was convicted whether it was about marriage, prayer, forgiveness, being a parent. Every Sunday, I was convicted going through the journey group. And I began to look forward to Monday mornings until Mike said, you got to give your testimony. And I did. And amazingly, <clears throat> every man in there was very loving, um, forgiving, Welcoming, wanting me to come back, uh, made a huge difference in the way I thought about this church. Um, I remember asking Mike at some point, I said, you know, I, I wonder at what point do I quit taking and, and how do I give to the church? And he said, well, it's kind of like a store. When you first start coming, you're more of a customer. But as your life changes, he said, you start to work there a little bit more. I didn't understand how I could. Bill Keenan, again, somebody in the church that loved me, asked me to serve as an usher. Didn't really want to. In that process, I got to know most of our members. I get to shake hands every morning. I get a hug from Mrs. Cobb every morning on Sunday morning. 
um, and others that love me, right? So I got to serve and participate in that. And during this whole time, you've talked about this once, I'm going to I'm going to talk about it because I truly believe this is Christ preparing me 20 years ago. During this time, you know, we have Tammy and I are in Phoenix. Uh, long story about the houses being sold, and we just got caught without a house here. And so I would come back to serve, to usher. So I would fly back from Phoenix on the Sundays that I was serving and sometimes in between. And we had the freeze and the flood. And Jake had preached, and still does, he said often, he said, be careful, Christian, what you pray. So if you pray, God, use me, just be careful, because it might happen to you. So there's often I sat there, because I didn't know how to work at the store, and I sat there and would pray. Here I am, Lord, use me, use me, I don't know what to do. And two years before that flood, or three years before that flood, we had built a restaurant in Phoenix. We had a fire. Well, what happens after a fire? firemen come in and they flood the restaurant so we had been through the whole insurance claim we'd been through the construction we built stores in the past we own a construction company and so out of nowhere I'm sitting there and Robbie texts me a video walking around knee deep in water and I send Jeff a text because I know it's going to hit him and I say hey pastor if you need help I have a whole team of people that work with me that know how to do insurance claims and I was privileged enough and blessed enough to be able to work with the session, contractors, members, staff, and everybody on that project where I was affected and transformed by just being with them, by praying with them, by understand, and understanding the importance of our church, understanding what the church means to people, the questions I got from, from people. I believe he had our hand on us a long time ago. In, in that regard and it just I'm jo- overjoyed but at the same time I'm convicted of all the times I had my back to him and sinning and yet he was preparing you know not just me but my whole team my whole team really did this I mean I had the opportunity to participate but we had so much help from so many members and so many other people and so many people on my team Megan I will say some of the things that convicted me is, I, you know, as I said, I was an arrogant guy and I knew everything. If you didn't believe me, just ask me. I would have told you. Um, I will say Mike had a significant impact because we did sit down and go through basics of Christianity. He knew some of my behavior. And there was a time when Mike sat across from me at the table in his office and he said, you're acting like a scoundrel was the word he used. He said, I can't continue to counsel with you. And I can't continue to support you being in this church if you don't change your behavior and do what you got to do. And it went right to my heart. And it was Tammy sitting right next to me when it broke her heart too. So I get to do a little work in the store. And I think I'm privileged to be able to say I can today. Christ has made all the changes. Uh, I didn't know what election was, but when you go to the church kicking and screaming because you don't want to be there, I'm pretty sure that's got something to do with it. Because it wasn't my doing by any stretch of the imagination. I did everything I could to avoid it. So I just, I encourage it, you know, even dare you to pray, here I am, Lord. Use me for whatever you want to use me for. He is good 
and he answers prayers, and they're always for us. Yes. So, yes. so thank y'all. Thank you.